Thanks. Morning, everyone. Paul Williams. You know Paul and Sonia? I can't see Sonia here this morning. I don't think she is with us. Where are you pointing? No. Paul had a heart attack during the week and had stents, I think, put in yesterday. He's in hospital at the moment and, uh, as far as I know, recovering, doing well. So we'll remember them, Paul and Sonia. Um, and Edith McNabb, it's her birthday today. She's only 93. Congratulations. Did you get your presents yet? <laughs> and we had a couple of funerals during the week. Michelle's stepdad had passed away uh, a week before that, and the funeral was on Friday. And also Mel Sasaya, you might know, his grandfather, Mel's father, had the funeral was here on Friday. So it's been a very demanding week uh, for many of us. We're going to pray. Let's pray together. For all of your goodness, kindness and forgiveness extended to us in Jesus, we give you thanks, Lord. For the ministry that Paul Johnson is involved in, Amos' mission, we pray for your ongoing blessing to be upon that mission. And that as they visually present the gospel, that many indigenous folk might come to know Jesus personally and be saved through all eternity. So too, Lord, we pray that you would do a work here amongst us. Be with our kids' church, with Kids' Club, with Alpha, and even here this morning through the reading and teaching of your word, through the singing of truth in song, through the fellowship and the conversations we have before and after the service. We pray that you might achieve your purposes and that in all things Jesus might be pleased and glorified. Lord, speak to us now through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Please continue to pray for the members' meeting coming up next weekend. The reports are available in the foyer for those of you who would like to pick up a hard copy. And to pray for the various search committees, <clears throat> one to start, but the Mandarin had an interview last whatever it was, I can't remember, Thursday night I think it was, did a Skype interview with a guy over in New Zealand, that committee is processing that. It's a committee meeting to uh, interview applicants to re the administrator's position um, and they're meeting again a couple of times this week um, and the pastoral team will meet again this Thursday night as well. So please uphold all of those in prayer that God will guide them. This is a passage that, again, the Corinthians had written to Paul about. They were divided over it and they were obviously arguing. That's why they wrote to Paul to say, can you please help sort this out? And the issue was to do with eating meat offered to idols. And the church had fallen into two groups. There was the enlightened group, those with knowledge, those who were mature and free in Jesus. And they thought, well, idols aren't anything. There's only one true God and... <clears throat> therefore I can go to the idol temple I can eat meat offered to the idol because they don't exist anyway they're nothing 
and so it's good meat, let's eat. It's the free group. <clears throat> there was the not free group, there was the restricted group, there were the ones with the weaker group, not as mature, not free in Jesus, they had their rules and restrictions. And for them it was a difficulty, it was an offence. And so they were sort of looking down upon the free brothers and the free brothers were looking down upon the restricted ones and they write to Paul to say, help us. And Paul basically says, oh, you're both wrong. And gives us a principle which is applicable even to us today. The principle is, or the question is, how much should I let other people's views on things control my behaviour? How much does what you think impact me? And there are lots of issues that this comes across and many of us have very different views about it. So how do we live with this? How do we resolve this? Well, one of the ways, obviously, over the centuries that we resolved it is we form new churches, which is not a mature response, is it? But it's now a historical reality and it's undoable. There are certainly things that we can do to maintain or to work at unity amongst believers and Christians in other denominations and clearly they're wrong because they're not Baptist and we alone have the truth. I sense there might be some resistance to that. There ought to be a lot of resistance to it. We do not have, we do not possess all truth. And so Paul writes to them and he gives them some very helpful guidelines. So now, I'm not sure how many of you struggled this week with having to decide whether you would eat meat offered to idols, show of hands. Nobody. Of course, in some parts of the world it would be an issue. It would be difficult in some situations where you would be facing this very situation. Should I or shouldn't I? And Paul will in fact go on to give the Corinthians, not just the principle in chapter 8, but if you flip over to chapter 10 and all good Baptists bring their Bibles. So if you don't have your Bible, you draw your own conclusions. <laughs> Paul says in the end of chapter 10, verse 23, I have the right to do anything, inverted commas, you say, the Corinthians, I have the right to do anything, Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. Again, he quotes them, I have the right to do anything. Paul says, yeah, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And everybody said, a strong response, wasn't it? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You can eat anything. You can drink anything. however verse 27 if an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go eat whatever is put before you without asking questions of conscience so don't ask did you pray over this did you dedicate this to your pagan god if you went to a muslim home don't ask if he said i depart to allah of course he did but don't ask that's what paul says just eat Verse 28, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then don't eat it. Why not? Well, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. 
Why is my freedom being judged by somebody else's conscience? If I take part in the meat with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's part of Paul's solution to these Corinthians in their particular historical and cultural context. What do you do? Well, he's going to give us the principle. So we'll work our way through it so we get the principle as well. And then there is that bottom line guideline. Of course, we don't, we don't have this one especially in our faces every day, but the Corinthians did. Everywhere they turned, there were statues made of stone or wood. There were idols everywhere. There were temples everywhere. And what the uh, community of Corinth would do in their worship, the Greeks, um, they would take a lamb or an animal for sacrifice. They would take it to the temple. They would sacrifice it to their god Apollo or Sepphoris or whoever. And uh, part of the lamb would be offered up to the, the god that they were worshipping. Part of the lamb would have been given to the priests. And the rest of the lamb they would have either kept for themselves and taken home for a feast or had it there and then in the temple, in the cafe, in the restaurant part of the temple. They had their cafes and restaurants in their temple. Sometimes the priests, because if everybody did that, they'd end up with a whole lot, excuse me, larder full of meat, wouldn't they? So what they used to do is they used to sell it. So it went to the markets. So the best butchers in town were right next to the temples. Best meat. Want the best meat? Want a nice steak? Or whatever it was, right next to the temple, you could go and buy it. You would know. But that meat had been offered in sacrifice inside that temple to that God. And some of the Corinthians were going, can't have it. Can't eat it. Stay away from it. Others were saying, it's good meat. The idol's nothing. There's only one God. He gives all things for our enjoyment. Thank you. Hmm. I was trying to think of that very naughty grace, but I can't, so maybe that's providential. I'm still trying. Um, <clears throat> we have um, lingering superstitions. We don't have that, as I said, in our faces every day, but we do have other little ones. I wonder if you're superstitious. Friday the 13th, worry anybody? Black cats, broken mirrors, walking under ladders. Of course, there's a very practical, physical reason. <laughs> no, it's all superstitious, it's all nonsense. But not for everybody. For some people, they're influenced by it and they think it's real. So what's the appropriate response? We just laugh at them, are oh, you ignoramus? Well, the Apostle Paul says, no, that's the wrong response. There is a response which is appropriate. And we'll work our way through. I guess the one thing you could say which is a positive and which ought to be true for us as followers of Jesus is at least for the pagans, their religiosity, their spirituality permeated every part of their life. And that's how it should be for us with Jesus. Not compartmentalized into just public meetings on a Sunday or to life group meetings or into ministry times but all of life every part family life home life private life work life sporting life every part of our life we are living it as followers of the Lord Jesus so what do we do what does Paul teach these people who are divided well he says in verse 1 now about food sacrifice to idols we know and he quotes them we all possess knowledge. And Paul says, yeah, but 
Knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Yes, it's true that you have knowledge. No, it's not true that everybody has that knowledge because he says down in verse 7, but not everyone possesses this knowledge. That's the problem with those who have maturity in Christ, who have grown in Christ, who are aware of their freedom in what Jesus has bought for us, that we make the assumption, oh, everybody's on the same page. But we're not. We're at different stages and different levels of understanding and of maturity. And those who are stronger, who are freer, need to take that into account and take responsibility, far more responsibility for their choices and actions. Paul says, what does knowledge do? Now, knowledge is certainly necessary and true doctrine is absolutely essential, but there is, by itself, it can be quite harmful. We'll come to that. He says here that what knowledge can do is it makes you... It can make you conceited, it can make you arrogant, proud, have an attitude of superiority. You think black cat's going across in front of you? You can feel superior, you can be arrogant, and you can be rude. Well, Paul says, knowledge tends to puff up, it makes you swell. Something more is needed than just knowledge. Knowledge is important, but knowledge by itself can be deadly and dangerous. He says, in fact, we need considerate behaviour. So the best place to buy the meat for the Corinthians was the temple. What should we do? Can Christians eat pork? You know, some Christians think Christians shouldn't eat pork. That's what it says in the law. What about prawns? And it says that in the law too, you can't do that. What about drinking wine? Yeah, it's okay. The Bible's very clear, but you can't get drunk. That is certainly crossing the line, that's a sin. So if I went to a restaurant, and I went with you, and I didn't know what you thought about these things, and I ordered prawns for entree, pork for main, and I had a glass of wine with my meal, and you were disgusted, you were offended, and you got upset, then I have part responsibility, part responsibility for your response, and then you think you shouldn't eat pork, but you ordered the pork too, and you think you shouldn't have prawns for an entree, but you ordered them too, because I did, and you don't like wine, but I had a wine, so you have a wine with me. So you made dumb choices, bad choices, and you thought it was wrong. Now, you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, and I've put you in a situation of influence where I have done something I shouldn't have done. So Paul says, you're both wrong. So for those of you who think you can eat pork, eat prawns and drink wine, you, all three of you, <laughs> you need to consider your other narrow-minded, restricted, uptight, in immature Christian brothers and sisters. I hope you're picking up that I'm trying to be naughty, sarcastic by doing it that way. Because if that's your attitude against your brother and sister, that they're uptight, they're restricted, they are legalistic and they're judgmental, you're wrong. We are not to look down upon, we're not to have an inflated superior feeling towards our brothers and sisters. Jesus died for them and for us and we are to treat one another 
with that great deal of respect because of what Jesus has done for us. So, those who are restricted, those at Corinth who were saying you shouldn't be eating meat offered to idols, they were over here saying, can you look at those Christians? Look how they're behaving. It's terrible. How worldly they are. How compromising. How could they do that? And like I just said, and the ones over here were saying, you're legalistic, you're judgmental, you don't fully understand the freedom we have in Jesus, you need to grow up. And so they were clashing with each other rather than being reconciled. I guess one of the important points is failure to recognise, it's the failure to recognise that these people, though they might be wrong in their view, nonetheless can be very sincere. And if they are, they are to be respected, but then educated developed, trained, open the scriptures and teach them and show them. But don't offend them by your actions or by your example until they come to that point of understanding and freedom. Once upon a time, when I became a, a, Christ, when I became a new Christian, you know, somebody taught me, and I believed, and I believed it for many years, 10 years, that Sunday was the Christian Sabbath. And that you should do no work on Sunday. The books I read, the people I associated with, all taught the same thing. And I went to theological college with that belief. And it was at theological college that some colleagues took me aside and taught me. It's quite possible you might still think that. And so if we played sport on Sunday or if we went shopping on Sunday, I'll never forget a deacon in a previous church. <clears throat> he was of that ilk, he was of that belief that Christians should absolutely not shop on Sunday. It was a sin, it was wrong. Because if you go shopping on Sunday, then you're making somebody else work on Sunday when they should be able to go to church or be with their family. And so therefore you shopping makes that happen and say, you're wrong. That's how he thought about it. One Sunday, he was sick and uh, missed church for a couple of Sundays. And on one Sunday, I didn't have that belief. I went down to the shops. Guess who I saw in the shops? That deacon. He went beetroot red. Because he knew that he had been caught doing something he said was wrong and eventually that's what will happen to us we can't live our lives by rules and regulations we have to live them by acknowledging Jesus as Lord and following him two groups both wrong knowledge is not only makes us puffed up it's also incomplete we don't see everything we don't know everything we don't know why the people are doing that and so what we need to do is to take the mature response and that is to add the perspective of why do you think that? Why do you feel that way? And then Paul goes through this sort of shift. He's saying, um, those who think they know something don't know as they ought to know just yet. You might have knowledge and freedom, but there are still things for you to learn, still things for you to find out, and particularly about why they think that. So if you, for instance, if you had freedom in Jesus to understand you have the liberty to be able to enjoy a glass of wine, if you went with Paul Johnson, you went to the outback, and you did that. Now, in Christ, you're free to do so. That would be highly inappropriate to do it amongst an indigenous community. Not only because 
but of their weaknesses, but it's also against the law. Remember a politician took a bottle of wine on a plane, flew up north? Even that was off, was inappropriate. So according to the culture and the people and the places where we are, we may need to restrict ourselves. We know that we can, we know we have the freedom to do so, but we ought not because of the consideration of the other. That's what Paul is saying. That's what love does. I don't know where I came across this, but here's a little ditty. I'll get the music to play, the band to play, put this to music. Isn't it odd that a being like God, who sees the facade, still loves the clod that he made out of sod? Isn't that odd of God? God has been very patient with us. We're all mixed up. And yet he's brought us along on a journey. He's been very patient with us in our transformation processes and still is. He's tolerated our arrogances, our attitudes, our judgmentalism. He didn't wipe us out. He patiently leads us to maturity in Jesus. What we have received, we are to extend to one another. That's what Paul is saying. Knowledge tends to generalise. Everybody knows this. Love tends to individualise. What about this person? Can I or can't I? Because not everybody does know. What do you do with your weaker brother or sister who does have these limitations, restrictions, who quite sincerely believes it is wrong to eat pork or prunes or drink wine or dance or go to movies or work or play on Sunday or whatever all of the other things are, that it's sinful for a pastor to stand in the pulpit and not wear a tie, that it's incorrect not to read the King James Bible. On and on and on and on. Christians shouldn't buy cars above $50,000. Everything else is, that's extravagant. Do you know people have these beliefs? What do you do then with people who are weaker, as Paul calls them, weaker in conscience? What do you do with the weak? Well, you don't kick them, you don't trample them, you don't flaunt your strength in front of them, you don't show off your freedom, you help them. You help the weak. You don't put them down. You reach out, you include, you invite along for a discussion. Let's talk this through. Let's look at what the Bible says. Let's look at the example of Jesus. Love evaluates clearly. So that if I know that I have the freedom to be able to do anything, eat, drink, dance, go to the movies, smoke, whatever. If I know my brother or sister is present, if I know they're going to be Observing, I know that they're going to come under the influence of my choices. Well, then, these choices that I'm making, while I am able to do so, they're quite trivial. They're quite minor, aren't they? It's personal satisfaction for a very short period of time. Now, that, compared to my brother or sister's um, needing to grow and to mature in Jesus, it's far more important so I need to lay aside my freedom. I need to lay aside my choices of what I know I can do and I'm free to do in order that I may help them. 
It's not that I simply don't do it, it's I don't do it and I educate, I train, I converse with, I talk with. And Paul is not talking about somebody who just simply has a very different view to you, they've got their own prejudices, their own biases, and it's not a process of education or teaching or training because they've got their mind firmly made up and it's shut, that's locked in. No, you can't. Christians cannot work on Sunday. The Bible says it and they're immovable. And we're not talking about that. We're not talking about people who are lost. You are then free. You know that you, before God you are and so you, are continue, you can continue on that course. But they'll be upset. Yeah, they will. They'll be irritated. Yes, they will. They'll be offended. Yes, they will. But will they do it? That's the issue. Will they work on Sunday because I'm working? We're not talking about them just being offended emotionally. We're talking about them being offended to the point where they'll copy the example against their conscience. That's where we have to see the perspective. Remember that example of Jesus? He certainly offended the Pharisees. They were upset with him. You've got to wash your hands before you eat. And they were offended that the disciples didn't. And Jesus addressed that. He went through the wheat fields and grabbed a bit of wheat and ate it. They were offended. He kept pushing the envelope for them, not to deliberately offend them, but to push them into evaluating where they were at, what the Bible was actually saying. And they valued their, and this is the point, they valued their traditions more than the word of God. So Paul goes on and he says, so then about eating meat sacrificed to idols, we know that idols are nothing, there is only one God, that's true. Um, and even if there are other so-called gods, people think there are gods, um, we know that there aren't. There is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom are we live, and there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. It's not a complete statement about who God is, so don't get worried or upset that the Holy Spirit's not mentioned. Paul is not here teaching the whole gamut of the truth of the being of God. But do note those little words, from and for and through. We come from God the Father through Jesus. We exist for God the Father through Jesus. That's what he's saying. We know God through Jesus. But not everybody possesses that clarity of thought and that understanding. Some people are still accustomed to idols that when they eat it, they think they're doing this. Well, the reality is, verse 8, food doesn't bring us near to God. Our devotion is not related to our diet. Except, of course, chocolate, pizza. We are no worse if we do not eat, we're no better if we do. Be careful, Paul says, verse 9, that the exercise of your rights, your freedoms, does not become a stumbling block to the weak. A stumbling block. For if someone with a weak conscience in the restricted camp sees you, so they're present, they're observing you. They see you with your freedom and your knowledge and they see you in the temple, eating in the cafe, in the restaurant, in the temple. Won't that person be emboldened to go join you in the temple to do the same? Well, they ought not. But if they did and they're doing it against their conscience, they're wrong to do that, and you're wrong to provide that incentive or that motivation to do that. We are not to go against our conscience. 
Romans 14, verse 23. But our conscience is continually to be shaped and improved and honed by the teaching of Scripture, by the Word of God. Verse 11, Paul says, So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is ruined, wounded, destroyed is the word he uses, by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way, in fact, you're sinning against Jesus. Remember Jesus said, as you'd one of the least of these, my brethren, you do it to me. The way you treat your brother or sister is the way we're treating Jesus, Paul is teaching. Therefore, he says, extreme conclusion, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, well, then I won't eat meat ever again. Why not? Because I'm motivated by I don't want to cause him to fall. I don't want to cause him to go astray. And it's a process. Stumbling forward. We are not to deliberately offend anyone, but rather we are to help them. Well, what does all this mean for us? Well, number one, continue to read the scriptures and be shaped by it. Knowledge is important. It's necessary. But by itself, it's not enough. You also need to balance it with love. Love and truth must be in balance. Let me find that. Can't. I wonder if I can remember it. Love without truth leads to sentimentality. Truth without love leads to superiority. We need truth and love. Love and truth in balance together. So we need to be educated, we need to be reading the scriptures, we need to be educating our conscience. When I became a Christian, I thought it was wrong for a person to go to church and not to dress up. Some of you might still think that. And then I came to the position of understanding, actually, what I wear on the outside is not important. What's important is what's in here. That's what God's looking at. So we need to educate our conscience by reading our Bible, by growing and learning. We need to... On issues where there is controversy, we need to think about and care for the other person's perspective. Think through your own position, but then you have to take into account not only other Christians, but other non-Christians and what they think, like chapter 10. If the unbeliever says to you, this has been sacrificed to idols, don't eat it. You know you can, but don't, because he's testing you. He's finding out if Jesus is first in your life. So on issues of controversy, think about it and then take into account, how are other people going to respond to this? And so if I'm on an island by myself, then it's okay. I can, I'm free to do whatever I like because there's no one around I'm going to hurt. But it's when I'm in public, when I'm in the, under the influence or in sight, the presence of others. Don't forget what Paul says here, that when we sin against one another, we are in fact sinning against the Lord Jesus. It's not just their sin. If we have caused or enabled that stumbling, we have some responsibility in it. We need to think about how younger Christians see what we do and say. Let me give you one example, and then I think I'll pray. Um, do you like horror movies? I don't either. 
You ever been on a ghost train ride? Imagine you went to Luna Park or you went to some place and there was this scary horror ghost train ride or whatever. It's going to be a spooky experience. Now, some people love it. They just enjoy it. They're sick, but they do. <laughs> and it doesn't influence them. It's just entertaining. But for others, it's frightening. Is it real? No. You know it's not real, but it still scares you. So now if I, we went to Luna Park or a theme park and they had a gross train ride, a scary ride, and I said to a little child, my grandchild, come with me, Eleanor. <clears throat> We're going to go on this ghost train ride. You don't have to worry about anything. It's not real. There are no ghosts. There are no monsters. They'll do lots of noises and lots of scary things, but it's not real. Just enjoy it. And I take her. So now I have knowledge and I know it's not real. And as you go through the dark cavern, something brushes against your face. And she screams and you go, it's just string hanging down, it's okay. And something else happens, you know, suddenly a figure pops up and a light comes on and there are noises and screams and all sorts of things. And when you get through the end of the ride, what's she like? <laughs> Frightened. It's not real. We know it's not real, but it's still having an impact, isn't it? Well, it's like that with these issues. Offering food offered to idols, they're not real. It's okay, you can eat it. But for some, it's, no, it's wrong. I, I can't do it. You shouldn't do it. We shouldn't do it. It's wrong. Well, let's talk about this. You've got to grow. But until they reach that point of maturity and growth, it's, well, don't eat the thing for consideration of them and their weakness. Understand? Now, that applies across the board. So for those of you who are on the journey of following Jesus, and for many of you, you have reached a maturity in Jesus, for you it will mean don't judge, don't be superior in attitude to your other brothers and sisters, but rather pray for and talk with. And be very strong on doing what you believe is the right thing. And if you see somebody else doing what you think is the wrong thing, don't do it, don't copy them, but talk to them. Don't talk about them, talk to them. That's maturity. That's a journey. For those of you who have the freedom and you're doing all sorts of things and you become aware, you won't be aware until somebody says something, and you become aware that your choices or actions or behaviours are hurting and making it difficult or it's tempting for others that they want to follow you, particularly younger, weaker Christians who are still growing and developing, younger people, whatever, children. If you influence them to do something which they think is wrong, Jesus will hold you responsible. You're the parent in this sense. So guide the children carefully. Let's pray. Father, you're a God who cares about relationships and you have instructed us through this passage that there are times when other people's attitudes or beliefs will limit and restrict my freedom in Jesus. I ask, Lord, you would give us wisdom, a sensitivity, 
and an awareness. We thank you for the freedom we do have in Jesus, but help us not to flaunt it. Help us rather to help those who are weak or who don't have that understanding yet. Deliver us, Lord, from just looking after ourselves or being self-centred, but rather help us to be self-controlled and to love our brothers and sisters as you direct us. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.